Well, uh, well, listen, we are in uh, a sermon series, kind of a collection of talks about Jesus being a friend of sinners. And really we're talking about how Jesus would uh, befriend people who are not like us, who are not like you or not like me. Because I think what I find, and I'll speak for myself, is that I tend to want Jesus to be like me. Uh, I want him to think like me, act like me, uh, look like me, talk like me, be who I want him to be, uh, like me. And it's, it's interesting. I mean, we even think about the pictures that we have of Jesus. If like you picture um, a picture of Jesus in your mind right now, it's interesting that even pictures that we have of Jesus end up looking like me. And to all other like logical, rational uh, reality, we know that Jesus didn't look like me. I, I did my ancestry DNA. I am 99% Irish. Last time I checked, Jesus is not 99% Irish. Like, um, he didn't look like me, and he certainly didn't act like me. In fact, um, more times than not, Jesus disagrees with me um, and, uh, and thinks very differently than, than I do. He's very rarely like me. And so um, even when we talk about Jesus, when he was in the flesh here on earth, he was always talking to people and befriending people and eating with people and sitting with people that even his closest followers were like, what are you doing? Like, they are not one of us. Why are you hanging out with or talking with these people who are not like us? And today we're going to talk about, in John chapter 4, you can turn to your Bible. Um, John chapter 4 is the, the longest recorded conversation of Jesus and another person in, in the entirety of the Bible. So we're not going to read it in its entirety. and We're just going to kind of walk down through it. But uh, it's the story of Jesus and this Samaritan woman at a well. And you've probably heard it before or, um, or heard it preached in John chapter 4. But it's, it's interesting because it's the epitome of Jesus hanging out with people who he really shouldn't be and are certainly not like us. Uh, John chapter 4, it begins with a really interesting detail in verse 3. It says, So he, Jesus, left Judea and went back once more to Galilee, and then it says, now he had to go through Samaria. Now, something that you need to understand is that historically, geographically, there is a stretch of land that's in between where Jesus was, which was in the south. He was in Judea. And he wanted to go up to Galilee, which is north. And the area in between Judea and Galilee is this area called Samaria. And if you don't know anything about Samaria, and we talked about the Good Samaritan a few weeks ago, but let me just refresh you, is that a good Orthodox Jew would never step foot in Samaria. They would take the long way around. Kind of like if you're wanting to go down south and you kind of make the long way around Boston because you don't want to hit the traffic. Well, this was a little bit different. Like you didn't, you didn't want to come into contact with or make trouble with Samaritans. And so Jews would go the long way around to get where they wanted to go. And you may think like, well, what, what's so bad about Samaritans? Well, there's like a 700-year deep-seated hatred between Jews and Samaritans. Now, it really boils down to this. Like, Jews had a, uh, they were very proud of, of their heritage, very proud of, of their race as God's chosen people. And Samaritans were half-breeds. They were half-Jew and, and half-Gentile. And so racially, culturally, they were divided. And many would even say they, they hated each other. And the feeling was mutual. Samaritans didn't like Jews and Jews didn't like Samaritans. And so um, 
the Samaritans, like even in, in John chapter 8, you can, you can look ahead later. Like when when Jesus' enemies were trying to call him a name, they called him a Samaritan because that was like the worst thing that you could call a Jew is you're, you're a Samaritan. And what's interesting is that Jesus says that he had to go through Samaria. Why did he have to go through Samaria? I'm sure that his disciples were like, Jesus, why are we doing this? We, you know the route. This is the route that all good Jewish Orthodox rabbis take. Why would you go through Samaria when you don't necessarily have to go through Samaria? And what we find, and we've been talking about this over the past few weeks, is this, that like Jesus would go out of his way to encounter people who others go out of their way to avoid. And this is a perfect example of Jesus really kind of like going through the bad part of town to encounter a woman who everybody else, even her own people, would avoid her. And she avoided them. So I want you to understand that like this, this conversation, the longest conversation recorded in the Bible, John chapter 4, it, this was no chance encounter. This was an on-purpose encounter. This was like a divine appointment between, between Jesus and a woman at a well this day. And it goes on in verse 5. It says, So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. That's important for you to remember. And when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, so it's midday, it's noon, that's what the Bible says. It would have been blazing hot in this area of the world. And nobody, nobody in their right mind goes to a well to get water at noon. Everyone goes in the morning or in the evening except for this Samaritan woman and Jesus. And Jesus says to her in verse 7, Will you give me a drink? For his disciples had gone to market basket for groceries. And then I want you to understand that, like, nothing's really happened yet, but this is already scandalous. Like, Jesus has already broken through barriers that he had no business breaking through. And we're talking about race. We're talking about culture. We're talking about gender issues. We're talking about religion, tradition. Like, all of these things, Jesus just is breaking right through. Why? Because he's, first of all, a good Orthodox Jewish rabbi in Samaria, which is the place he shouldn't be talking to Samaritan. That's already like a big no-no. Not only is he talking to a Samaritan, he's talking to a woman in public. And if you don't understand this, like a good Orthodox Jewish rabbi would never be seen talking to a woman in public. And this included his wife, his sister, or his mother. So all, just this scenario that's happening around a well is already breaking all, all kinds of, of laws. And, and then he says, hey, can, can you give me a drink? Like, can we share a drink together? And I don't know about you, but if you have kids, like I have a hard time drinking after my own children, right? Because of their whole like open mouth swill thing that they do. I don't know, kids, your kids probably do the same thing. It's like, oh, and just everything that went in goes back in. And then you're just like the floaties. It's gross. So I, but, but it's more than that. It's not even like, hey, I'm afraid you might have Samaritan floaties. It's like this ritually would make Jesus unclean. You've got a Samaritan woman who we'll find out later is sinful, not right with God, and 
this whole scenario and then sharing a drink with her would make Jesus unclean. And the thing that we love about Jesus is that you can't be unclean enough to make Jesus dirty. That's the beauty of the gospel, right? Like, I mean, you, unclean, come to Jesus who is clean, and Jesus doesn't push you away saying, ah, you're going to make me dirty. No, he came to make the unclean clean. In fact, his cleanness makes you unclean. He makes you clean. That's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we see this even in his, this interaction with this Samaritan woman at a well. Now, she understands how inappropriate this is, though. Like, she, she understands social stuff. In fact, she's probably at this well at noon, probably to avoid the social outcast status that she holds because of the sin that is in her life. And so she says in verse 9, almost correcting Jesus, she says, um, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan? How, how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. And then Jesus lowers the boom in verse 10. He answers her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, for most of us that have read this story before, and maybe you've been in church and you're a Christian, like we read this and we're like, Jesus, that was genius. You just like, you made that illustration, just, it just rocked it. I mean, that was amazing. It was so deep and poetic, you know, like water and satisfaction and living water. I mean, you could just drop the mic and this woman, I, I mean, that was amazing. But I want you to understand, like, put yourself in this woman's place, this nameless woman's place. It's kind of weird. In fact, she doesn't get it like you get it. And you probably wouldn't have gotten it like she didn't get it if you were the woman at a well talking to some guy who shouldn't be talking to you. And it, it, she, she's essentially, in verse 11, she responds, Sir, the woman said, um, you have nothing, nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? In other words, like, you don't even have a cup. You don't even have a cup. And, and then she starts to press him a little bit more. She's like, you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his lives. His dog drank from this well. Like, and Jesus answers, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I will give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, what Jesus is communicating to this woman at a well that I don't even think she probably fully understands even when he's saying it is monumental. It's absolutely huge. And we still, to this day, quote this amazing conversation between Jesus and a woman who he has no business talking to. And it comes down to this, really, what Jesus is, is changing here and what he's reversing is that in the Old Testament, it was kind of understood that salvation was referred to as, as a cup, right? Um, if we see it in like Psalm chapter 116, verse 13, it says this, I will lift up the, the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. 
Essentially, the kind of Old Testament way of doing things was that salvation was metered out by the cupful. You would, you'd get just enough to, to be able to cover your sin, and, but then you'd have to come back and, and get more. And so, essentially, you'd kind of just keep coming back. And the, the Jewish law required that um, you'd have to have a, a blood sacrifice to be able to atone for your sin. And so, you'd go to church, you'd go to temple, or once a year, they would have the, 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 the time of atonement where, where essentially you'd, get, you'd make a sacrifice and it would quench your thirst for, for forgiveness, right? Like everyone has that in, in their life. It's interesting that the writer of Hebrews writes this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. They kind of push them off down and they never fully are sufficient. They never fully quench the thirst for forgiveness. It lasts for a bit and then you're thirsty again, right? And so we kind of go about raising our cup of salvation and, and we, try to, we try to do things. We try to do it through like, I don't know, religion, you know, try to do the right things and not do the bad things and hope that that quenches our thirst for forgiveness or we oh, I messed up again, I need, to, I need to make a sacrifice and that will put me right with God and bring some covering of my sin. That would have spilled out. Um, and so we, we kind of live our life and kind of in the Old Testament, this is kind of how things worked. Um, it was the, the blood of a sacrifice that would atone for the sin, but it, it always left you thirsty. You'd have to just keep going and keep going and to quench your thirst, but, but you were always going to be thirsty again. It never actually kind of finished it once and for all, right? And, and kind of what we do too, even in our day and age, is that we, uh, we try to quench our thirst in other ways. This is the best Mountain Dew. It's the Baja Blast version. Um, hard to find, but when you do, you buy as much of it as you can. Um, and so we try, to, we try to do things in our life that like quench the thirst. Now it's not necessarily, it's not the same, but it tastes amazing, right? And so we go about our days and we try to, we try to do things. And for some of us, it's the, uh, the lust of the eyes, right? It's like, I keep thinking that like, oh, you, you're going to be the one that's going to quench my thirst. You're going to be, the, when you accept me, that's going to mean that I'm accepted. And so we go around and we try to have other people fill our cup. If you could just fill my cup, could you, could you spare a little bit for me? Then, then this will be enough. And I know it's not the water of, of forgiveness of, of my sin, but it, it'll do. It'll do. And sometimes it's, not the, sometimes it's not the lust of the eyes. Sometimes it's the things of this world. And so we think, like, if I can just, if I can just surround myself with enough stuff, enough possessions, enough things, then it'll help doesn't necessarily quench my thirst as much as water would, but it, it'll do. And then, and sometimes for us, it's the pride of life. It's like, I, I don't need anybody. I can do it. Like, I can quench my own thirst. In fact, I don't need God in my life. It's kind of a crutch for weak-willed people. And so, but I can do it on my own. Like, I've, I've got this. And so we kind of go around through our days trying to, to fill our cup in, in a lot of different ways, hoping that, like, 
will have enough to be able to get us through. But the problem is, and this is what Jesus is speaking to this lady at a well, and what I think he's speaking to me and to you even here today, is like, it always leaves you thirsty. Like you're going to be thirsty again. And what Jesus is communicating, it's so good. What Jesus is communicating and what he's describing to this woman who is, who's, essentially what is currently available to you and I in the New Testament. See, because in the New Covenant, the, the New Covenant that Jesus brought into this world, it's, it's not a cup, it's a spring. And those are two very, very, very different things. See, a cup is a container. A cup holds things. A cup is man-made. I lift up the, my cup of salvation, but I'm continually needing to fill my cup and it only, it's finite. I can only fill it up to a certain point and then, and then I can no, no longer fill it up anymore. But, but a spring is different. What Jesus is communicating, a spring is something that, that bubbles up from the ground. A spring is not man-made, a spring is God-made. Completely changes the game. And what Jesus is communicating to this woman, if we could get this, this understanding that each and every single one of us, when we when we are saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, that we 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 don't have a cup of salvation. We've got a spring that is bubbling up from the inside. That we have the very dunamis power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. That we put a draw on. That we're not looking around for you to fill my cup, or for you to fill, or for me to fill my own cup, or to look to religion to fill my cup. Like there. There is the, the very spring of water welling up to eternal life dwelling in you. That's a, that's a game changer, complete game changer. I'm going to read it for you again in verse 14, what Jesus said to this woman. He said, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. It's more than a cupful. Indeed, the water I give them will, will become in them, catch this, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And that word welling up, we see that, you know, like, oh yeah, I've heard that before. Like it's a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That word welling up is really probably not the best connotation here because the word in Greek is more like a geyser than a well. That word in Greek, welling up, is translated in other areas of the Bible as jumping or leaping. That's, 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 a, that's kind of a very different word than welling up. Welling up kind of gives me the idea of like kind of a well or like it's a seeping up a little bit. No, no, no. It's like there, there's this bubbling that happens. We see in, if, if, if you ever, like you remember the story in Acts chapter 3 when Peter heals the man at the gate of beautiful that's begging. And he says, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. And he reaches down and takes hold of the man. And it says that his, his feet and his ankles were strengthened. And then the Bible says that he jumped to his feet. That word jumped is the same word. When he says welling up, it's the same word. And that, I mean, for, for me, that's absolutely amazing because essentially what Jesus is saying, like, is that, well, what he's not saying to this woman is, I'm, I'm going to be in you a, a, live, a spring of living water that is just limping along. It's like it's jumping out of you. You have the very dunamis power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, bubbling up, spilling over, flowing out of you. He says, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. A cup holds a cup full, but a spring just keeps replenishing itself. And so what Jesus is communicating to this woman, he's like, look, 
I'm offering you free refills. Free refills. Now, I don't know about you, like, um, as a kid, and e- even today, right? Like, I'll just be honest, I'm a kid at heart. Like, when I hear that there's free refills, it changes the game, doesn't it? Like, when you go out to eat and you all of a sudden realize that, like, that $3 drink that you just bought has free refills, you drink differently. Like, you're no longer just being like, oh, I've got to make this last for the next hour and a half. No, when I have free refills, I'm like, yeah, I'm just pouring it all over myself. I'm like just throwing it around. I'm like, it's okay. It's free refills. I got more. There's more where that came from, right? Because it changes the game. My kids go crazy when there's free refills. Like they just keep drinking and keep drinking and keep drinking. Why? Because they know that it's just, there's just more. They just keep, they'll just keep filling this thing up. And what Jesus is communicating to this woman, he's like, I, you, you're all worried about filling your cup. I'm, I'm telling you right now, the, the water that I'm offering you is not going to leave you thirsty. It's, it's free refills. So do you want a cup of salvation? Or do you want the free refills that Jesus offers you? Do you want to keep trying to fill your cup with water that's going to leave you thirsty? Or do you want the living water with, with free refills? And then this conversation, it's a long conversation. This conversation takes a bit of a weird turn. Um, Jesus says something that, honestly, when I read it, it's completely insensitive. In, in fact, I would, I would say it's un-Jesus-like. Um, he, he says to her in verse 16, he told her, go call your husband and come back. And she says, I, I have no husband. She replies. And then Jesus says to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Now, I don't know about you, but like I, I read this and I'm like, man, what the heck, Jesus? Like you were just nailing it with this whole like living water and free refills and this is great. And then all of a sudden he just like, why are you railing on this girl? Like why are you digging up her sin and then throwing it in her face. Like, what is up with this gotcha moment? Because honestly, as I read this conversation, it never seemed to kind of flow rationally, logically for me. Like, why does it seem that all of a sudden Jesus goes from like just this loving, loving Jesus to a mean Jesus, inconsiderate Jesus? And I always felt like there was something off. And I want you to think about this for a moment with me. And I want to just, I want to pose this to you that that back in this day, it was very easy, honestly, for a man to divorce his wife. You, you, could, you could file and, and give papers for divorce for, for many, many things. I mean, if your wife couldn't, couldn't conceive, then, then you, could, you could just divorce her. And like, I mean, and, but it was virtually impossible for a woman to divorce her husband. Virtually impossible for that to happen. And so I want to pose this question to you. Like, what if Jesus is not outing her sinful past? What if, what if he's not digging up her dirt and, like, throwing it in her face? What if he's actually relating to a woman who's been rejected? Stigmatized. Thrown away. Five times. 
and the guy she's currently with won't commit. For me, that changes everything. She goes from being the town whore to this woman who is broken and hurt and devalued and marginalized and judged and rejected to the core. It changes everything. Like what if Jesus is speaking not to her sin but to her pain? What if, what if Jesus is actually getting to the, to the root of so much pain and hurt that has brought her to the place where she's at a well at noontime in the blazing hot sun to probably avoid the other women and their judging looks and conversation and comments because it's just too much. Because look at how she responds. Verse 19. She, does, she doesn't say, sir... The woman said, I can see that you're an insensitive jerk. She, she doesn't say that. Her response to this seeming like gotcha moment is like, sir, I can see that, that you're a prophet. And honestly, her, her response does not make sense to me unless she felt that Jesus saw her. Like, not heard about her, but like saw her. Not her sin, but, but her pain. Because someone who calls you out on your sin, you don't really want to get close to. But somebody who gets close enough to hear you cry, that's a person who cares. And all of a sudden, this woman who was like, you don't even have a cup and all this stuff, she's now interested in what Jesus has to offer her and explains how we see this change begin to happen. Like she's all of a sudden interested in what Jesus is offering her. Why? Because, well, we know this to be true. Like we don't care how much people know until we know how much they care. And I think she saw it in him. And she says in verse 20, she starts to ask some questions because, I mean, that's what we do when we don't feel worthy of something like that, when somebody loves us, even though we don't feel like <laughs> worthy of it. She says, well, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the, the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Essentially, she's trying to argue that she can't be worthy of this living water with free refills, like because of who she is and what her race is and what he must believe about her. And if you only knew my, my whole story, and Jesus levels the playing field for this woman. It's honestly like shocking. And he sees her and he says to her in verse 21, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you, when you will worship the Father Neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come. Like you are in the already but not yet moment. The time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus is telling her that it's no longer about the race, 
that you are or the place that you're worshiping. He's like, the time is coming and has now come that all people have access to an open heaven. And it has nothing to do with, oh, are you a Jew? Oh, are, are you a Gentile? Are you a Samaritan? It, it has nothing to do with race or place. Everyone, the time is coming and has now come that the, 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 the playing field is leveled. And it's not about filling your cup. It's free refills. And it changes everything. And Jesus, the, or the woman says, I, she says, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. I kind of almost wonder, this is just me, right? I almost wonder if she's like, almost in a roundabout way, asking if Jesus is the Messiah. You know, because when you're with Jesus, you kind of, you had to wonder. You got to be like, dude, something's up. This guy, I think he's the one. I think, it, I think she's almost like, well, you know, like one of these days the Messiah's going to come. Like almost like you're talking to Clark Kent and you're like, I think you're Superman. Like I think she's just kind of like, well, you know, well, one of these days he'll be here and then he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus just levels right with her. He just, in one of his greatest, most self-identifying moments, he says to her in verse 26, I the one whom speaking to you, I am he. <laughs> She's like, I knew it. <laughs> and from what we can tell in this moment, everything changes. I mean, based upon her reaction, it's like a, a bomb went off in her heart and everything changed. And we see what she does in verse 28. It says, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? What changed? She literally goes hiding, trying to avoid the, the, the social outcast status by going to a well at noon and then meets the Messiah. He tells her everything she's ever done, which for some of us would be like, I don't want that, right? Like he just says it. And then she leaves her, she leaves her cup and goes running back into the same town that she just held her head down low, leaving. And it's like, come, see this man who told me everything I've ever done. What has changed in her? Has her past changed? No. Has her, has her status of being like a social reject changed? Hasn't even had time to. Like, like, has her reputation changed at all? Probably not. So what's changed? I think that, I think that maybe she just stopped caring about what everybody thought about her. You ever, you ever struggle with that? <laughs> like just caring so much about what everybody else thinks. I think they call it Facebook. <laughs> we spend our days like hoping that somebody's going to fill up our cup for us and accept us and, and not reject us. If you, could just, if you could just fill this up, just quench my thirst a little bit. For, if, you, if, you could just, if you could fill this up, if I could just buy this thing, then, I can, then, then that will fill me up. And I think, I think this woman just finally came to the place where she's like, I just don't care anymore. I, I'm sick of holding my head down. 
I'm sick of being ruled by all of these things. Like, I got free refills. When you got free refills, it changes how you act. Doesn't it? She's not worried about this. She's just like, whatever. I, I got a spring welling up to eternal life on the inside of me. I really don't care if you want to fill my cup or not. You're not the source of my water. You're not the source of quenching the very thirst that is on the inside of me. And when I, when I would say this to believers and unbelievers alike, when we come to this realization that the things that we're putting in us to hopefully satisfy the very thirst for eternity on the inside of us never quenches it, and we start to look, we start to look to the one that has living water. It bubbles up from the inside. And she leaves her cup, she leaves her water jar, and she runs back with a spring of free refills on the inside of her. Which means that you can walk into the very same community that you came out of with your head held high. And it doesn't change your past. It doesn't even change what happened an hour ago. It just means that, like, I'm not ruled by this anymore. And because she came to the well with one identity and she left with a new one. And she could leave her cup behind because that's not where it was holding it. And I want you to listen to her sermon. It's a very simple sermon. She says, verse 29, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Now, I don't know if Jesus, I mean, told her exactly everything that she'd ever done. Like maybe there's more to this like story that is kind of left out. Uh, but I'm sure that there were some things that were left out other than her multiple husbands. Like there's probably other things she did wrong, right? That told me everything I've ever done. So what is she trying to tell these people in her town? I think she's trying to say, I've found someone who loves me in spite of everything I've done. And this is the radical grace that I, I struggle with in my own life, that, that Jesus knows everything you ever did and still loves you. Like this father's heart that we've read about throughout this past few weeks of this outlandish dad who takes back his youngest son that spent it all and grabs a hold of him and covers him. And he does the same thing for this, this girl, this Samaritan woman that he saw her and he, he didn't just know about her. He gave her value and he gave her worth, not by the cupful not based upon what she's done or that she earned it and not something that, that leaves you thirsty. He gave her new life with free refills. And it didn't just change her, it changed her whole town. Everything changed. Can I just tell you, church, this is the power of your testimony. This is the power of your testimony. This woman with a reputation that preceded her. This woman who was a social outcast was changed and all she did was tell her story about encountering Jesus. She didn't have time to go to Bible college. She didn't even have time to like make things right or to start making good decisions. She literally gets, meets Jesus, runs back into the same town that she came out of and she's like, you gotta meet this guy. Changed my life. What changed? I don't know. I'm different though. Because when you meet Jesus, you may not have time for your behavior to match up with your heart change, but you know that God has done something in you. That's the change. And I'll end it here, verse 39. 
It says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you've said. Now we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Jesus changed an entire town by going out of his way to encounter a woman who everyone else would go out of their way to avoid. And I think he still does it today. And I think he calls his followers to do the same. Why don't you stand with me? This story, I think the reason why it's recorded in its entirety in John chapter 4 is because Jesus is, is like rearranging things. He is flipping things on their head. And one of the things that, and I've just been thinking about it the past few weeks, is that um, religion will tell you that Christianity is about, all about three things. Right? You, first, you behave, then you believe, then you belong. What do I mean by that? Well, first you get your act together, right? Behave yourself. Stop doing the bad things that you're doing. Once you stop doing the bad things that you're doing, then you can believe in Jesus. And when, once you have faith in him, then you can now belong to this thing that we call church. So you behave yourself, believe, and then you can belong. And what Jesus is doing is like he messes this whole thing up. I mean, turns it literally like this way. Like he just flips it on its head. He goes and essentially is saying, like, I'll tell you what my heart is, is this, like, you belong, then you believe, then you become. He goes and he talks to a woman who he has no business talking to, and she knows it. And he's like, hey, you belong. Like, I want to just remind you, church, that long before you came to believe in Jesus, he kept showing up in your life. Your grandmother's been praying for you for a long time, Right? God's been sending people in your life and co-workers and family members. I just want you to, before you came to believe in Jesus Christ, you, you, Jesus was showing up. And if you've never come to faith in Christ, I just want you to know, this is Jesus showing up in your life. He's continually showing up and saying, you belong. And I love you and I know everything you've done. And then we come to this, this place, and I think it was through her belonging that she came to say, man, this guy knows everything I've ever done and he still loves me. And she surrendered her cup to him. And then she, she became. And I, I think that the, the crazy thing is, is that like she didn't even have time to make sure that her life matched up with her faith. And I still remember, I mean, you can maybe go back to the, when, when you first received Jesus Christ into your life, when you, when you gave up the cup and you decided, I want more than this. It was the summer before my ninth grade year and my my youth leader prayed with me to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I honestly had no idea what I was doing. I just was like, if this is true and I can actually have it, then, and all these people aren't weird. Well, they were, but if they're not that weird, then like, I want this, and she prayed with me. And I'll tell you, from that point on, I woke up the next morning, changed. Like, well, what changed, Justin? Did you like make different decisions? No, I did, I slept. I didn't have time to make good or bad decisions. I 
I received Jesus that night, woke up the next morning, and I was like, I'm different. And I think that's the reality that like when, when you receive Christ, when, when he encounters you and you give up your cup, you can run into your town and say, you got to meet this guy. He's changed me. And they're like, well, what did he do? I don't know, but he saw me. And I'm different because of it. And out of that, Jesus seeing us and receiving that well springing up to eternal life, like we become. He starts to change the way that we think about things and he gives us a different worldview and he, the things that were once important to us aren't important anymore and he just starts changing us from the inside out. Which is why we can be like this woman who just decides like, I'm not trying to fill my cup up anymore and you're no longer my source. Like I have a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. I got free refills, baby. And it changes everything. See, she belonged and she believed and then she became. Jesus changed her life, which in turn changed her town. Because a spring, a geyser, makes itself known. A spring spills out. And I just want to encourage you as we, as we end in, a, in, a, in this last song, like maybe you're in this place where you just feel like, man, I am I'm dry right now. And I know that I picked up my cup again, hoping that, that somebody's going to fill it or this thing's going to fill it. If I buy this, it's going to fill it. Or you're going to fill it. And I'm just thirsty. I'm just thirsty. And you want to come to the place of just saying like, you know what? I need a fresh infilling of your Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, I believe it says, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that word is actually be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit, which means that when you receive the Holy Spirit, it's not a one and done thing. Like, were you baptized in the Holy Spirit? Yep, 1972. No, it means that you are continually being filled. It means you put a draw on, on that spring. You prime the pump of the spring on the inside of you. And so if you're just saying, like, you know what? Today, if this is true and I, and I, and I can be quenched, Lord, then I want that in my own life because I, I am thirsty all the time. Just between you and the Lord, maybe I just, I just want to encourage you right now, just raise your hand just between you and him. Say, God, I, I'm hearing you right now and I want to I be filled with you. I need you to quench that area of my life right now, just between you and him. If there's someone around you right now that just their hand raised, I just want to encourage you, just go and just put your hand on their shoulder. Just, go, put your, just raise your hand up. Say, don't be shy. Just say, you know what? I am, I am thirsty and I need a fresh infilling of your Holy Spirit. I need a fresh infilling. If you see someone around you, just kind of go over and just, I don't need you to do anything. Just put your, put your hand on their shoulder. Because the Lord says where two or more are gathered in his name, that there he is in our midst. And so, Lord Jesus, I just want to pray for you right now. If you just need a fresh infilling of, your, of the Holy Spirit in your life. Lord, we put a draw on your spirit today. And we don't, we don't look to fill our cup of salvation, Lord, but we pray over that, that spring of living water that wells up on the inside of us that you promised this woman and that you promised each and every single one of us that have come to, to believe in you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would fill us to overflowing with your spirit from the top of our heads to the tip of our toes. Lord, I pray that you alone would quench the thirst 
that every single one of us is, is thirsting for. Lord, I pray for, the, for forgiveness of sins. Lord, we, I, I pray that as we repent, that those things would be wiped away, that we're no longer living under the shadow of the guilt and shame of all of those things. And Lord, that we don't have to look to other people to hopefully they'll accept me or affirm me or do the things that I desperately are just needing that I know that only can be fulfilled by Jesus because those things still leave me thirsty. So Jesus, I pray for a fresh infilling. I put a draw on your anointing in Jesus' name. God, I pray that, that the spring that you placed in each and every single one of us would begin to bubble up again. Lord, that we wouldn't be looking to all those other things to, to fulfill us. Lord, we thank you that is when, when you say we're two or more are gathered in your name, there you are in our midst. And so Jesus, we expect you to show up in us. I pray that you would baptize us fresh again in your Holy Spirit. Have your way, have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing.